Welcome to the Co-Mission Podcast, a place to hear talks, teaching, and conversations from across the Co-Mission network. Back in June, our Executive Director Richard Culkin had a chance to sit down with Desiring God founder John Piper as they discussed leadership, church planters, and enjoying God. Here's an extract of that conversation. Uh, John, you've made it your life's ambition, really, to promote this idea that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And I know your heart is full on that issue and right to your dying day, you want to make that the thing that you proclaim. Could you tell us a little bit more about why that has become the burning passion of your life? Right, right. Um, you can answer a question like that in various levels. I mean, or with 50 could, books, whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm thinking you can answer it experientially yep. or, or, or biblically. In other words, I, I want to be a biblical person. I, I don't want to just have ideas out of my own head that seem clever or satisfying or interesting. I want to think what God thinks. And he's told us what he thinks. And so, so but let me do both real, real quick. Um, experientially, this is what I'll, I'll say to you folks when we get, we're together. Um, as a 22-year-old, I had two realities that didn't seem to fit in my life. My dad had taught me Johnny, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So I knew, that's why I'm here. Make God look glorious. Don't add to his glory. Make him look like what he is. And then I had this other craving. I want to be happy. <laughs> and I couldn't stop it. I could no more turn that off than I could turn off getting hungry after I'd skipped three meals. I am a and wired to be happy. And I think God made you and me and everybody that way. Hmm. Nobody wants to be miserable forever. Even people who commit suicide are trying to cut short misery. So everybody wants to be as happy as they can be. Hmm. And yet we know from the book, we live for his glory. Yeah. And I didn't see how they fit together. And the experience was that when I was 22 years old, that sentence that you just quoted hmm. became the answer. God is most glorified in me. That's the solution to the first problem. When I am most satisfied in him, that's the solution to the second problem. This is too good to be true. Could this be possible that a universe like this exists, that God is the kind of God who would be pleased to be glorified by my being satisfied in him? If that were true, if that were true, then... I wouldn't have to be divided anymore. I wouldn't have to say, oh, Daddy, do I, do I go your way uh, and, and make God central? Or do I go my way and seemingly make my aching central? Hmm. And, and God said, no, 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 no. I didn't set the world up that way. You don't ever make that choice. If you try to make that choice, you won't worship me. You won't love people. Hmm. That's what I've spent 50 years trying to work out. Why is it that my delighting in God, loving God, a treasuring God, being satisfied in God makes him look great. And, and why uh, does it help me love you? Why wouldn't it just make me all wrapped up in myself? Why wouldn't I become a, a self-satisfied, self-cross-legged you know, Buddha sitting in the middle of a field saying, you can go to hell, I don't care because I'm happy in God. Hmm. That's not what happens when you're satisfied in the God of the Bible who sends his son to die for sinners. So that's, that's the experiential piece. And, and I just I find it now all over the Bible. Yeah. Can I take that a couple of directions then? So yeah. commission is a church planting network. What do you think that kind of approach to life and ministry does for a church plant, but perhaps especially to the ambitions 
and the fears of failure and, and the, the hopes of success. What do you think that goal in life, that biblical shape to life does well, in church planting? I think it helps tremendously to have a center of your life that is simple, not endlessly complex. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you focus on the strategies of reaching across cultures, mm -hmm. across socioeconomic levels, across menhood and womanhood, things can start to feel endlessly complicated. Yeah. Like, how will I ever contextualize mm -hmm. endlessly? And, and, and I think guys can get paralyzed. They, they, they can see, they, article after article, in magazine after magazine, seminar after seminar, conference after conference, and they just want to throw up their hands and say, I'm just tired. I, this is not going to, I can't handle all the complexities. So for my life, I mean, I think I've survived in the ministry because I just, this is really clear and simple. You exist to maximize your contentment in God that is so complete, so deep, through the worst sufferings of your life that your life becomes a fountain, becomes an overflow for that experience to happen in other people. I mean, to stay right there. I mean, as a church planter, I would think, okay, I exist in this parish, in this community. I exist here to find my fullest happiness every morning in God. That's a quote from George Mueller. <laughs> he says, I must find my heart happy in God because I just rolled 60 things onto the Lord that I don't know how I'm going to handle today. And now I walk happy in God into a world in which I have something to give. I, Jesus has just met me this morning and I have something to give. And then the goal is, okay, what am I trying to achieve? And you don't express it first in terms of endlessly complex structures of church life and mm -hmm. outreach. You, you formulate it in terms of there are human beings out there created to find their deepest, fullest longings met in knowing the God that I know. I want to come to that in a moment. Just going back to, to the planter and to the goals of ministry. So are you saying that success or what feels like success is, is found in God himself, so find your satisfaction in him rather than in the results of your ministry. Is that what you mean? Success is found first before you leave your prayer bench mm. in the morning. Mm. If you have not found contentment in him, mm -hmm. I mean, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content when I'm abased and when I'm abounding. Mm. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be exalted. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is success. That's why you're on the planet. Mm. God looks on that and smiles. That's the end. Mm. Now, if you bottle that up like the Dead Sea, you become a stinking salt and everything dies in your life. But if you now just walk into the world, then success is, can I live that out? Can I relate to a human being who needs Jesus authentically so that they taste what I taste? And in the end, their tasting it is God's work. My overflowing it is my battle between me and God and against my sin. So I, I want to define success first and centrally in terms of the, the main reason why you exist. You exist to magnify God by being satisfied in God. Mm. Then ministry becomes, what, how can I bring other people? How can I 
I, I picture my contentment in God as a, a weather front, a, a high pressure zone that is expanding to and draw others into it. And it gets bigger as it expands. So my joy at the end of this day in Jesus will be even greater if I have spilled over to draw others into it. Let me press that a little more then. So on Sunday you're preaching on uh, enjoying God and, and, and we're inviting unbelieving friends as well because we're convinced that they will benefit from hearing what Christians are so excited about. So I'm just wondering, does your model for evangelism sort of draw away from going out to proclaim no, to others no. and just dragging people in to share in our joy in Christ? How does those two, how does well, a mission... They, they're not going to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless we go out and invite them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, why would they come? Hmm. They, they don't, uh, I mean, they might yield to an invitation hmm. to somebody to come, but I've, I've said to our folks, look, whatever programs we develop over the years, whatever structures, those come and go. Mm. I mean, you get a brochure and somebody's coming to town. They want to evangelize every block of your city and they want you to help them. Mm. You say, okay. But what I have found is when enough of those sweep through, you know, every, every evangelist got his idea about how to evangelize London or Minneapolis, and they sweep through you can start to become kind of jaundiced towards programs. And what I want to say is, look, the bread and butter is the marketplace where you live and work and your family. Hmm. That's the bread and butter. The world, London, wherever the church exists, the design of God to evangelize is you be out there working. Hmm. <laughs> Only a few of us are called to sit in our study and you know, do this. Yeah. Only a few. Yeah. And we're supposed to say things that help people not do that all day long, but rather live that out in all the spheres of society. So, no, I do not assume that Sunday morning is for evangelism, mainly. No. It happens. Yeah. I mean, First Corinthians says they, the, the, the foreigner comes in among you and he falls down and says, God is in this place when he mm-hmm. sees people speak the word of God. That's not the way it ordinarily happens. Hmm. Yeah. Now, you've been greatly affected by Jonathan Edwards. I mean, he's, he's one of your heroes. Tell us about your, your passion for Edwards. You've written a lot right. on well, him. Um, <laughs> how can you sing the praises of somebody yeah. who has meant so much to you? His book, The End for Which God Created the World, would be outside the Bible probably the most influential book in my life, Mm. the end for which God created the world. And the point there is God created the world for his glory. Mm. Now that's not rocket science when you read the Bible. I just read this morning in Ephesians 1 that we are uh, chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined for sonship according to the counsel of his will, unto the praise of the glory of his grace. I mean, that's the end of the line. Mm. Everything goes there unto the praise of his glory. What was unique about the book is that he, uh, he drew down lessons from the Trinitarian relationship between Father and Son by the Spirit in which the Father uh, knows His Son and delights in His Son. And then we are created to know truly and delight duly. And He makes the case that 
God is only half glorified when you know him truly, mm-hmm. but don't delight in him duly. Mm-hmm. And he's fully glorified in your heart. This is what hearts are made for, to, to know that's why we do expository preaching, to know him and to delight in him, be satisfied in him, which is why I call preaching expository exaltation. Mm-hmm. So that I, Edwards just shaped the entire discovery when I was 22 years old. And how do you respond to somebody who says, so it sounds like you're telling people that what they most want is to be found in Christ. You know, you're, you're created for delighting in Christ, delighting God, and we're going to give that to you. Does that does it ever sound like uh, sort of needs sent, not needs sent, or is driven by the culture. Yep. You know, I'm here. To, you use this yep. phrase, Christian hedonism, yep. and we recoil from that, thinking, you know, hang on a second. You know, we're here to follow the Lord, take up our cross, and yep. follow Him. Yep. Yep. That doesn't sound like Christian hedonism. Yep. You say a bit about why you're not saying we're here just to satisfy people's desires in life. Right. If if you don't make clear that the desires that people have are for something they do not know, Mm. then you might make the desires supreme. Mm. So there's a category confusion in saying, oh, Piper, you just make a God out of desire. I say, no, no, I make a God out of whatever people have most desires for. That's your God. So if you have most desires for success in business, that's your God. Mm. If I have most desires for the creator of the universe, that's my God. If I have most desire for the redeemer who died for me on Calvary, that's my God. It's a category of confusion to move from the emotional or the subjective experience of desire to the object of the desire. You always have to clarify when you say, I'm out to satisfy your desires in God. In God. And right now, that's not what you care about. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, apologetics and preaching are to help people stop being blind. Yeah. Stop being callous to what they really want. And I, I think this is what, you know, we've talked about our friend Tim Keller. He's just, he's expert at peeling back the faults, the, the idols of the world to show them what you're really after as you climb the ladder of success is this. And what you're really after as you make sex an idol, what you're really after as you make money an idol is, is this. Hmm. So um, I, I'm willing to risk saying I am out to help people live a life devoted to pleasure. Hmm. That's what I mean by Christian, you pronounce it, yeah. hedonism. Yeah. And then I say... And that will be a total failure Hmm. if you do not devote that life to pleasure in God. I mean, otherwise, why would the Bible say, delight yourself in the Lord? Hmm. Why would the Psalms cry out, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary as with... as with fat and rich food, my soul will be satisfied. The, The Bible goes to these these uh, tasteable analogies, metaphors, fat, rich food, honey, to describe the kind of spiritual experience of the soul when it encounters the living God. And I I think there's the crossover with with everybody in the world, in every culture in the world. Hmm. All of them have achings and longings. Augustine Augustine said, we're made for God. We're going to be discontent until we find our, our rest, our satisfaction in God. Thanks for listening to the Commission Podcast. 
Check out and share a video version of this talk on our Facebook page. Just search for Commission. The second half of that conversation will be available in a couple of weeks' time. But next week, we hear from Helen Thorne as she spoke at this year's Commission Women's Morning.